Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Welcome, everybody, to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you the Crypto Corner, where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, authors, uh, you name it, in crypto and blockchain. And before we get into today's amazing podcast, just a quick word. There is an upcoming conference that I'm excited about uh, called the Global Digital Asset and Cryptocurrency Association Conference called Defying Expectations, Utilizing Decentralized Finance to Drive Institutional Performance. It's going to be held on November 10, 2021, totally virtual, online. Registration can be um, signed up for at gbaglobal.org. And the featured keynote speaker, among others, is Sam Bankman-Fried. He was the CEO and founder of FTX. It's a free event. It's going to be amazing. And um, I look forward to seeing people on the line virtually. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. And today I have an amazing guest. His name is Q Harrison Terry. He's the co-author of a recent book called The NFT Handbook. Uh, Q Harrison, welcome. Oh, what's up? What's up? How have you been? Great. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here today. So uh, let's kick things off. Um, the first question I always ask my guests are, um, is, is what is your background and is it a logical background to what you do now? Come on. Do you, there's there's no logical background to anything, really. Like, I, I, I think that's one of the biggest constructs that I think is overrated, right? That you start something and then there's just this linearly or this this linear progression that gets you to your destination. So to answer your question, for me, it's definitely not linear. It's all over the place. Sometimes I went left to get to right and sometimes you go right to go left and eventually you keep going up and up and up. And I think that's like the whole concept of just staying motivated and, and staying into it. But I'm Q. Harrison Terry. I'm the author of the NFT handbook an entrepreneur, and also, uh, I guess I would say, a venture capitalist, too, in some capacity. Right. I saw that you, you've done some work with uh, Mark Cuban, right? What is that like? Yeah, working at Mark Cuban Companies. It's It's been a blessing, right? Like, I get a chance to work with founders of all types, companies of all sizes, everything from what you see on Shark Tank to investments that Mark has just made himself. And, you know, working with Mark has is, is been one of those those experiences where you learn a ton about communication. And, you know, Mark's a master communicator. I appreciate him for that. And, you know, it's like one of those things where it's eye opening because, you know, I get a chance to just be on the ship. And and in that, you know, you get a chance to see how things are, are done. So it's it's the first time, too, for me, who's always been kind of the guy that's ideating and coming up with the idea or, you know, seeing the future and running towards that to be on the other side and saying, like, OK, how do we invest or how do we uh, help a company that's on the other side grow? And, you know, what's the relationship between a investor and a founder? And, and it, it's different just being on one side, but now being on both sides, it definitely changes my perspective a bit. Great. And um, what, would, what would you say is the biggest difference between the founder and the, the investor? 
So the founder is usually thinking about it from the whole concept of, I would say like two, two capacities, right? It's either like, if you're a really early stage founder, you're like, how do I get rich? Right. You're like, this is my lottery ticket out of this. Like, I'm going to make this, I'm going to control and own my own destiny. And then the second thing is usually you have like this crazy vision, right? Like, let's say you've already made money or you're, you're just beyond your, let's say you're post-economic. It doesn't matter. Like you're just at this point where you're not worried about uh, cash per se. Then it's about bringing this vision to life. And, and that's, I think, where you see that visionary founder. You have like the operations and the executors and you have like the true, true visionaries, the people that I think we all look to. I mean, Elon Musk is probably one that's seen around the world. I would say I would put Kanye in that bucket, right, where you have these people that have these like very esoteric or uh, peculiar ways of looking at the world or just things that we should do within the world. And they go out and they they accomplish these things to all to no really to like really no true avail. But then you know momentarily we all kind of get on to their vision and we're like, oh, so this is why you put the hyperloop out there, or oh, this is why you think you know Mars is is somewhere we should inhabit. And like it it, it might take you a while to to actually see what they see, but they they're thinking 10, 15 years ahead. And I don't think that that's true for all founders. That's why I separate it. On the investor side, it's it's more of like, you know, are you investing because it's fun, right? Like there's a lot of investors that do this because it's a it's a great passive time, right? Like they get a chance to meet, grow their network, uh, see what's out there, invest in a lot of different companies and, and just kind of get off on the nuances that are associated there. But then also there's investors that like do impact investing, right? And like they look at, you know, if I add my resources here, I take my knowledge, my skill set, my network, and I apply it to this category right here, which is overlooked, we can create a ton of value. And that value will unlock potential in ways that we haven't seen. So in many capacities, they both are doing the same thing. It's just how you do it is a lot different. Whereas the founder is going to be, you know, 100% a practitioner focused on bringing an idea to life. The investor is more so saying like, hey, how can I have a massive impact in this space? And I mean, I, I definitely oversimplified it a lot, but that's that that's the greatest, like highest level difference I see. I mean, happy to go deeper, but I know we're on a, we're on your podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That's very helpful. That's been helpful to me. Um, now I know I'm the I'm the investor. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so 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 I wanted to talk about your book and dive into that, right? Sure, for um, sure. So. There's a lot of talk of what NFTs are, non-fungible tokens. Most people have heard it, you know. Um, most people haven't heard, though, you know, what are, like, some of the key aspects and the extrinsic elements of NFTs? And I know you, you go into that in your book. So could you talk about, you know, basically what, what, what NFTs are to you and then talk about those aspects and elements? So NFTs, to me, are a technological revolution that I think very few of us truly understand, right? And what I mean by that is it's beyond just an image. It's beyond just a a profile picture. You know, an NFT is a smart contract. And, and, and we've seen what smart contracts can do kind of just in cryptocurrencies in general. I mean, this is the crypto corner. I'm sure you've seen some fascinating smart contracts where you're like, wow, like DeFi, I didn't know you could do that with that. And what NFTs represent to me is the first time where, digital scarcity can be had and enforced, right? And, 
you know, my background here is I started one of the first digital art marketplaces back in 2015. It was called 23Vivi. And I was maybe a little too early, right? But I've been thinking about NFTs and how to buy, sell, create, how to exchange them, how to grow them uh, since literally since 2015, um, probably 2014, because we, we started in 20. So I was I was just kind of dabbling in this space and went deep a long time ago. And, you know, the NFT thing, what's changed between now and then is NFTs are, are the way that we now understand and, and rally around these digital files that are scarce. And what's fascinating to me about that is, one, you have the the intrinsic properties here like they're they're much like diamonds right like a diamond has value uh, not only because it has you know ideally a special meaning to the a holder right like someone gifted you this diamond it's a memorable cause occasion event or it is like special because of the properties that are associated with that diamond so you have the cut clarity and and color right i can't even if I made a diamond that looked vaguely similar, it's not going to have the same cut. It's not going to have the same uh, clarity. It's not going to have the same color. So diamonds, we already understand as NFTs. I mean, there's man-made diamonds. There's, uh, um, what do you call it? There's like actual regular diamonds that are that are just naturally grown and all that good stuff. And there's there's this this whole concept where it's like we we can point to real world examples like I just did and say oh the same economics of NFTs that we're seeing happen with like a crypto punks or a board API club that's happening in the real world and so it is almost like you know what was old now becomes new but the conditions associated with it are just mind blowing I can't program on top of my diamond any type of layer right I can't like it maybe you could take it to a pawn shop and get some money against it and then maybe go back and try to buy it back later right like you could do that but in a smart contract if you wanted me to build some uh, a lending mechanism you could totally go ahead and do that and that optionality is available to us all it's not limited to just a big corporation and so we wrote the nft handbook with the idea in mind that like hey there's a lot of technical people out here that understand solidity and you know what's going on in the blockchain but even if you look at all the wallets in totality, maybe there's 300,000 to 400,000 people that are participating right now as we're speaking. It was less when we were writing the book. And, you know, Ethereum was surging, but it wasn't surging like what it is doing right now. And Bitcoin wasn't surging like what it was doing now when we were writing this book. And I think that uh, the concept is because those prices are skyrocketing, there's very few resources where people can kind of come and say, hey, what is actually this, this NFT revolution? Uh, how do I get a part of it? And, you know, where where are the people giving me information where they're not trying to shill anything, right? Like neither Matt or myself are trying to shill any type of project. We just wrote the book. I think we're, we're if we're shilling anything, it's the information in the book. And, you know, we had we wrote the book with Wiley because Wiley gave us like two or three technical editors and, and, and Eric, it's not one technical editor and a few other editors, right? Where we couldn't just write anything, right? There was a whole point where we were going back and forth and they were giving us pushback and they were asking deep questions. And, you know, I love that because we we got out a product that I think is truly one of the most concise and, and easiest to read, uh, I guess, not, not pamphlets, but books or handbooks on the topic. And if you know nothing, you'll at least walk away knowing something. Now, if you're the most technical programmer 
on the solidity front and you're looking at like what's next in NFTs, this is not the book for you. If you are asking yourself, what the hell is an NFT? This is the book for you, right? And you you can pick it up. You can go through it. It's not 400 pages. It's only like 200 and some change. And there's different chapters. You can jump around however you want. So if you already know like what an NFT and why they have value, figure out how to market and buy, right? And that 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 might be helpful to you. So I know I'm uh, I'm going on and on, but you know this book is one of those things where I get really excited about it because I think it really can have true true value and add uh, some great things to the world. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to ask more questions about the book, like right now. Um, so let's let's talk about some of them that hit the real world, right? There there are there are problems out there. I don't know what they are, but you deal with traditional collectibles and traditional you know artwork. You know, what are the advantages of NFTs that they bring to this traditional problem world? So some of the advantages that NFTs have over uh, just your traditional uh, assets or collectibles is most traditional collectibles are non-bankable assets, right? In the sense that you can't take them easily to a bank and, and become liquid or like, so they're, they're essentially illiquid. You have to go through a, a long series of processes in order to get cash out. And NFTs have kind of slowed that in a way that I think none of us really expected. Like as long as there's a community for the project that you're collecting, there usually is some type of liquidity. Now, is that liquidity going to be close to the floor of the project? That's not always true, but if that a that availability and just access to, to to liquid capital off of a collectible, I don't think we've really ever seen that before. And, and there's many other ideas, but you know, I know it's a conversation, so I'll uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I don't want to take over all the time. Fine. Um, so I want to talk about marketplaces. You know, um, as far as collectibles, I have a I have a baseball. I have a Roy Halladay baseball, a no hitter in the in the. Uh, you know, uh, playoffs. Um, but I don't have that little certificate, that paper certificate that says that it's authentic, right? Right, right, right. Um, so how do we create marketplaces that you have that certificate of authenticity on the blockchain, you know, um, and how can like somebody who does collectibles get involved in that marketplace? Well, there's a couple of things. I think if you are doing collectibles, there's a lot of marketplaces out there. I would say uh, one, go check out the NFT handbook. We list quite a few of the the actual uh, marketplaces. There's a whole chapter on that in the book. Um, the marketplace that I think we're most familiar with is OpenSea. And what I like about OpenSea is it allows you to uh, mint directly on their site. Or you, if you have a project and you want to list your NFT, you can also do that too. So they're agnostic as far as you know where the NFT originates. It's just that it needs to be on a blockchain of sorts. And once your your project's on the blockchain, you really have the ability to, to to play on any of these marketplaces. That's the cool thing because the blockchain is you know open source, uh, it's decentralized. And so if you're creating collectibles, I would think about it less from the lens of, you know, if there's a specific marketplace that you have to be on and solely on, are you in the marketplaces that matter to your prospective customers and the people you're going after? A good example of this in the same realm that you're talking about is Autograph, they're doing some stuff in the sports space. NBA Top Shot, they're doing a lot of things in the sports space as well um, with the NBA, et cetera. And what's interesting about those platforms is they're 
there you can view their their nfts on other marketplaces and, and platforms but the user experience is very much centered around uh going to their websites and checking out uh the 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 drop or checking out the actual collectible there experiencing it participating in the mint grabbing what you're going to grab and then kind of playing if there's a game to be played you play it on the site actually infinity is a similar site where you know the experience is had less on the marketplace and more on the actual site and i think as we look at the the actual future of uh some of these digital collectibles and just just how we're thinking about nfts in general i think that that's going to be more of a commonality than just a, an early early stage trend got it so one one quick follow-up is as you said the word minting can you walk some of us who, who don't know what minting is or how to do that just walk us through briefly what that is so minting is this process where you exactly bring your nft to life right so mint if you think about it as if you were minting a coin um like an actual coin in real life you know that that's the point where that coin becomes real uh when you mint something you're putting it on the blockchain and it is now available to everyone that is is looking at the the blockchain to see uh prior to that you know it's not really it's it might exist on your computer it might be in a shared drive but you know it's not easily for me to see that 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 digital file um on a blockchain because it just doesn't exist so there's a whole chapter on minting i just simplified it a lot because i don't want to get too technical but happy to also talk about the future of minting offline if anyone wants to reach out to me on any of the social networks and, and all that great and speaking of the future you know uh your book covers the the unwritten future of nfts right what is yeah. the unwritten what did what to you is the unwritten future of the nfts and there's a lot of things right i think uh at that time when we wrote the book uh i would say we were actually pretty we were really spot on right we, we didn't know what, what uh what we would what, what the future would be and how how early or late we would be but we literally in the book on the metaverse, right? And I'm not ruining it for anybody, but if you uh, check out the table of contents, you'll see that the future of NFTs, the, the first section in there is, is all about the metaverse. And so we start to talk about some of the things that we're seeing just becoming true today in our everyday life um, with Facebook and some of their announcements that they've made. And also some of these pushes that we're seeing um, big companies just move towards where they're thinking about, you know, what does their digital environment look like and how do they, uh, manifest some of their corporate missions and, and values in ways that are just in, intrinsically digital. And so I, I look at it in, 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 in kind of this construct of NFTs are like access tokens to the metaverse, but that's not the only way you can access the metaverse. It might just be one of the ways you get into the metaverse with like your special uh, collection of, of digital goods. So we look at you know, games like Fortnite and they have skins and, you know, for players that have been playing for a long time, they have some pretty rare and, and unique skins for players that have stopped playing. They don't have the skins. And so that's a very oversimplified model of like what digital collectible economies look like inside of di virtual spaces. But when we think about the future of just kind of the, the NFTs and like what's unwritten, I don't think there's a lot talking about the, the metaverse and NFTs um, sort of in the capacity that we did. I think I talk about a bit on just like what the future of wallet management is and like non-bankable assets in general. Like how do you start to take some of these non-bankable assets that we just talked about and bring them into a platform where, you know, they can be NFT'd um, because then there's that whole concept of being able to 
just token the tokenization of the baseball card that you own like you know that's something that a lot of smart people are asking themselves today and there are people building you know whole economies of scale just on literally that that concept there and it's it's all possible now because of the world of crypto and because of the 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 nfts and and and, and just what we're seeing in DeFi and other elements so i think that it's a very interesting time to be alive and participating in this crypto revolution. If you have a chance to go deep on NFTs, I recommend, you know, at least spending some time with the handbook. Uh, it, it's it's well worth it if you ask me, even if you just glance through and just check out the chapters where you feel like you could just beef up your, your knowledge base. There's a lot of good examples. There's a lot of call outs and projects like we really took our time and, and tried to make something that we thought the world would uh, find valuable. I'm going to read your book. Um, I can't wait to read your book. Um, I've done a lot of podcasts on, on NFTs, so I'm excited about it. So, um, let me, let me, uh, let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned the metaverse, right? What, what do you see as being possible that probably doesn't maybe not exist today, um, in the metaverse? I think the metaverse will allow for us to really challenge our visions of travel so to date like if you want to experience something entirely entirely new with with a new group of people meet and exchange kind of ideas you largely are limited to the zip code around you so if you live in you know a a weird town in, in wisconsin right like and you know there's maybe 3700 people in your town in order for you to get a uh, a diverse enough perspective that isn't you know just your surroundings you might have to travel you know 45 miles out of your city just to get to a city that might only have you know let's say 500,000 people which is still relatively small in in the grand scheme of things right and to you of course that's a that's a large city it's a it's a big town but there are Reddit communities or subreddits that have, you know, five times that many people in it sharing thoughts and, and moderating and, and going crazy. And so when you start to think about that, how that traverses to the Internet in the Web 2.0 era, we saw what digital communities literally could unleash and unveil in Facebook groups and uh, Twitter exchanges. Right. Like we saw what these massive thought leader led group discussions would would bring in entail. But now you're not looking at a 2D paint, right? Like you're not looking at the black mirror as, as, uh, as they proverbially say. Hey, we're looking at the realization of like whatever the world is, you get to hang out there, you get to be there, you get to uh, go and check it out. And I think what happens is you have like a concert that can now have, you know, 30 million people. That's absurd, right? Simultaneously experiencing it at the exact same time. like like simultaneously casting or, or, or broadcasting thought and you're able to participate at the source, that is in itself incredible. And then you look at the graphics and the resolution on a lot of these these properties, like, you know, even looking at what Facebook's doing with the Quest, you know, I was in an experience the other day and I'm a big fan of Japan and they had this experience where you could go to Shibuya and I'm very familiar with Shibuya and what the city looks like. And I put the headset on and it's 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 photorealistic almost to a one for one scale 
me going through Shibuya. I can't smell it, and obviously I can't feel the temperature. But those are those are those are values that I think you know will probably be alleviated or changed in the next five, ten years, I imagine. But uh, the whole point is because you can control the uh, the vision and what people see, and you control the the audio experience, and you can can control kind of the communicative experience, like the communication layer that is happening here. Uh, what's possible, we haven't really even begun to to explore and really unlift. I think we're still at that point where we haven't had the iPhone moment in VR where enough people have the tools so that developers can kind of start to build and lift up the experiences. Now, I know a lot of VR headsets have been sold. There's still just a lot of nuance into getting a, a, a base level experience, right? Like there's still people accessing VR through their phone. And I don't think that that's the right component. It was cool. It introduced the concept. But, you know, now we're starting to get to, you know, the, the the Oculus Quest. And, you know, again, it's cool, but it's a little too heavy, right? It's still not exactly there. And when we get to that point where VR becomes very, very accessible and, like, it's just a, it's, it's something where, you know, you can see it, I think that that accelerates the metaverse. But I think in, in passive, I think... AR is not to be slept on. I think that people are going to see some cool things happen with the devices just because the cameras and the capabilities for the processors in the phones, uh, it's getting to a base level where it's going to be second nature to create like these very uh, influential AR experiences. We saw, uh, we saw a glimpse of what that could look like when Niantic created Pokemon Go, but even that was like five years ago. What what the next the next version of that the next evolution of that will be even more mind blowing, which is scary to think about because Pokemon Go really captured captured and captivated the world at a time where you 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 probably didn't think that it could get much cooler, right? You're like, oh wow, I can visit this virtual world on my phone. I, I think that like developers have been working on some things that are gonna you know make that feel uh, like 2017. I also think like when we think about the metaverse and in how we continue to contribute i think what we'll be able to do is you know if you identify a certain way or you have certain values similarly to how web 2.0 allowed you to kind of get an algorithm that helped people think like how you think and it just showed you that so it kind of created this bias uh i think you'll have algorithmic bias but it won't be truly programmed uh i think it will be more so you're going to go hang with the people you want to hang with and if those people happen to be on you know in decentraland on a certain plot well that's just going to be your territory and so i think it'll become territorial just like the real world except for you won't have necessarily the nation state um uh borders and and uh div dividers that you have in like the real world so uh, i think that everything that we have will just become bigger and you know you take away that travel element you're going to see ideas that you just would have never found because not everybody can make it to new york a kid from Ohio or Wisconsin uh, might have a really great idea, but there's no way for them to truly commit that to idea to society because uh, they are limited by capital access or just a uh, perspective. And so they, this, this will solve that. Great. It sounds exciting to me. <laughs> um, and I was going to be my last question, but you, you said two words and now it can't, it can't be the last question. I have one more question. Huh. Um, you said the word nation state, right? Yeah. And there's a chapter in your book talking about the legal uh, parts of NFTs, right? And you see recently a lot of, um, 
I would say FUD, but a lot of, you know, articles or conversations about, you know, SEC attack vectors against DeFi, uh, against stable coins, right? Um, so what are the, you know, what are the attack vectors toward NFTs? And are they, are, if they're not secured, secured securities, is that a safe path for investors um, going forward? Matt Fortnow is actually my co-author and he's an attorney. And he wrote a wonderful chapter on this in the book. I can I can talk to it to to some degree, but I really do think you should read what Matt wrote because it's super compelling. And, you know, it's coming from an attorney. Obviously, it's not legal advice, but that perspective of a lawyer is still ultimately very value and shape, valuable in shaping how you think and, and come to uh, some of these ideas and concepts. But to answer your question, you know, are NFT securities? I don't believe so. Not in their traditional state. Right. I think that, you know, they're one for one assets um, like diamonds are diamond securities. Right. Like, I don't I don't think anyone would say they are um, the companies behind diamonds can issue securities. Right. So we, a company can issue securities, but I don't think the art itself or the, the product itself is a security. I think when you modify the product um, or when you you start to create this impetus that, you know, if I buy this, you're going to make money back. Um, you started definitely knock on the SEC and, and a lot of federal regulators' doors, um, and and they, you're, you start to challenge some of the things that we know to be true. There's nothing wrong with that, but you know, just as the the saying goes, don't don't wake up a bear that's hibernating. Uh, it it's a little bit of that, unfortunately, just going on in crypto. And I think you know, there's a lot of perspectives to be had. Uh, I tend to think that the regulators in the current state at least in the u.s don't fully understand a lot of this stuff so they're making decisions with uh, a misinformed bias um, i also think they've never really participated in any of it so i think to my earlier point talking about investors and entrepreneurs i think the regulators are more on like this investor side but the difference is most investors have you know started a company or they've been a part of a company in some capacity where they kind of know uh, what it's like, right? So they know, you know, why, why the the visionary founder versus like, you know, the impractical founder, right? Like they know all these different archetypes because they've kind of lived it or they've been around the block long enough to see it. I think the regulators know how to uh, regulate, you know, government, and, and 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 I think the government really once controlled money, right? I think that now you have um, with cryptocurrencies and DeFi some some really strong case studies as to what a non-government controlled body of of financial uh tools assets and, and institutions could look like and obviously if you felt threatened by you know some some small like case study you probably would get a little bit more uh I would say less lenient. You'd become less lenient on that that regulatory hurdle because you would see it more as a, a nuisance. It'd be like a mosquito. You're like, no, like the way we have it is great. And like the mosquito just keeps flying in your face. And you're like, I don't like this mosquito. You keep trying to crush it and crush it, but it's outsmarting you. And so I think right now to these nation states, crypto is like this mosquito and they don't really know what to do with it. It stings them, but they're still able to do whatever they, they're doing because the numbers are insignificant or inconsequential to what like they ultimately control. But they also see this mosquito every time it bites, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they don't know what to do with it. So I think we're we're also annoyed because we're like, yo, stop trying to crush it, stop trying to crush it, stop trying to crush it. And I think it's 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 books like these, like the NFT handbook, right? Like ideally, uh, not enough changes in you know two months where. Uh, the, everything in the book becomes outdated 
But if there are easier pathways and inroads to learn about what's going on, uh, maybe that can form a short-term perspective. So that way you at least know um, the fundamental basis of what you're talking about. And then you can go to ask questions about the things you don't know or that you don't fully understand. So I think we all just have to communicate a little bit better. And if we were able to do that, um, maybe we'll be able to find a, a common space where uh, this stuff coexists alongside, you know, the fiat currencies. I don't think it should be one or the other. I love the old idea of optionality. So do I. So um, I want to thank you very much for your time today. It's been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed your insights. Um, I have one last question, and that's this. How can people find out more information about you? How can they get their how can they buy your new book? Well, how can yeah. they do that? So to find out more information about me, you can go online and type at Q Harrison. That's literally my handle on all the social channels. So if you want to talk to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know, some new platform, I'm probably on it. Just call, just mention me at Q Harrison. You can also go to my website, which is QHarrison.com. Beyond that, to get the book, you can find it on Amazon which is probably the largest retailer that has the book. But if, you, if you're not on Amazon, the book is actually available uh, most places where books are sold. So you might find it in the airport. You might find it at Barnes & Noble. I don't know what you have in New Zealand, actually. So uh, I, I got I to get up to speed. I haven't been out there to, to see where the book is exactly. But it's definitely available online. And if you need any trouble or, or I mean, if you have any trouble trying to find the book, again, just message me and I can uh, probably find a way for you to get it. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.